we're having this summer lake baptism, uh, August the 28th, and so in reference to that, I've been asked to do some teaching today on this topic of baptism. Now I'm guessing that many of us have at least some awareness of what baptism is. But I think we could all benefit from spending some time today sharpening our focus regarding what this ceremony is all about. Now let me tell you why I say that for really several reasons. First of all, because some of you here or watching our service online today may just be exploring Christianity. So you're not sure yet if you wanna follow Jesus. Well, I think first of all, you've come to a great place. I have found City Church to be very warm and accepting. I love this church. And I think as you get to know us, you're gonna love this place and discover it's a safe place for you to process your questions and your doubts about Christianity. But in addition to that, exploring today the meaning of baptism is gonna help you to better understand what it even means to be a Christian. To, um, to illustrate maybe something of what this means. Baptism, illustrates the radical life transformation that God accomplishes in a life to turn that individual into a Christian. So Christianity is not just a bunch of ceremonies. It's not even a creed or a set of doctrines that we adopt, as important as those things may be. It is primarily a radical life transformation that God accomplishes in the human heart. And so today as we're exploring the meaning of baptism, you're gonna discover what Christianity really means in terms of its essence. Now here's some other reasons why I think it could be a value for us to uh, retrace some steps for some of us and to sharpen our focus concerning this particular ordinance. So if you've already been baptized, and I'm assuming that many of you have, the review can strengthen your resolve to follow Jesus Christ. Now let me, uh, let me give you an example of what I mean here. If you're married and you go to a wedding service and you're looking at the bride and groom as they're glancing at each other, you know, adoringly and exchanging vows and uh, rings and such, it has a way of taking you back to your own ceremony and kind of reliving your commitment to your spouse and even renewing that relationship. In a similar way, watching somebody else get baptized when you've been baptized or reviewing the teaching with respect to baptism has a way of taking you back to that time when you were baptized and thus warming your heart toward Jesus all over again. And I trust that will be something of your experience today. And another reason for uh, dealing with this topic, if you've never been baptized, I trust you will be willing to seriously consider what the Bible's teaching on this particular ordinance means for you. So what I'm gonna to do today is simply try to answer the questions you see in your sermon notes, five questions, the first of which is this one. Why should I be baptized? Why should you, why should anybody be baptized? Three reasons. Number one, to follow the example of Christ. Mark 1 verse nine. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized 
by John in the Jordan River. The John referred to here is not John the Apostle who wrote the fourth book, for example, of the New Testament. This is John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And he's out in the wilderness and he's baptizing people as a sign of their repentance. They're turning from a life of sin and their sorrow for sin. Well, that's what this is all about. Why in the world is Jesus coming to John and asking to be baptized? Is Jesus confessing sin? Well, of course not. Then why is he, he never sinned. So why is Jesus out there requesting baptism? Well, primarily because in baptism, Jesus is identifying himself with sinners like me, like you, the kind of people he came into the world in order to save. So in baptism, Jesus is identifying himself with us. When we are baptized, we are identifying ourselves with him. And so baptism, first of all, then serves as our following the example of Christ. That's the first reason. But there are other reasons. Secondly, we should consider baptism in order to obey the command of Christ, not just to follow the example of Christ, but to obey the command of Christ. So baptism is not then some ancient ritual that was thought up by some early Christian community and happened to get passed on through the centuries to us today. So it's simply something we do out of some sort of religious tradition. No, no. We do what we do because Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, commands it. Look at this passage in uh, Matthew chapter 28. Just uh, before his ascension, his return to heaven, Jesus said the following, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus commands us to be baptized. So that's the second reason why we need to consider getting baptized. Now this oftentimes leads to a question. Rich, what if I'm a believer, but I refuse to be baptized? I mean, what if I just blow it off, I regard it with indifference, or I say someday maybe I'll get around to it, but you know, I never do. What then? Well, uh, frankly, the question puzzles me a bit. I wanna ask something like this. Let's see if I'm understanding what you're saying here. Jesus dies this excruciatingly painful death on the cross, the worst form of probably of execution ever devised, death by crucifixion. Jesus dies that horrible death for you not only experiencing the physical agony of crucifixion, but even worse than that, the outpouring of his father's wrath upon him as your sin-bearing substitute, then Jesus simply asks you as one of his followers to go public by confessing him in baptism, and you have a mind to refuse to do that. Is that what you're saying? I mean, something there just doesn't compute with me. True believers, you see, not only offer their sins to Christ at the time of their conversion, they also offer their wills to Jesus. They say something like this, Lord, I love you. You have radically transformed my life. 
And I want to identify myself publicly, if, if you want me to do that, as a follower of yours by being baptized. So that's the heart of a true Christ follower. So instead of rebelling against Jesus' request for baptism or blowing it off with an attitude of indifference, a true Christ follower looks forward to it because it's a way to honor God and, in addition to that, proclaim the saving power of Christ. So the question is, have you been baptized? Now elsewhere in John 14, Jesus makes this statement. If you love me, you will what? Obey what I command. Now maybe you've been putting this off for years, you know, almost as if you're waiting for some mystical sign in the sky or waiting for the right feeling. But friends, this is not about feelings. This is about if you love Jesus, he tells you to obey him, and this is the way we can do that. So do it because you love Jesus. So he's encouraging us not only to follow his example, to it, but to obey his command. Thirdly, I should consider being baptized to demonstrate that I'm a Christian. Now notice Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. I want you to notice the order of events here. Many other people, first of all, what do they do? They heard the message, the gospel, how they could be reconciled to God and have their sins forgiven. What then? Well, then they believed that message. What then? Well, surely thereafter, at some point, they were baptized, heard the message, believed the message, demonstrated their belief in the message by being baptized. So baptism demonstrates the fact that we are Christ followers. It's sort of a do I really mean it kind of test. I mean, it's one thing to say in the privacy of your own heart before God, Lord, I'm a great sinner, I need a great savior. But you know, it's quite another thing to go public with all of this, demonstrating that because of what Jesus has done for you, you are dedicating your life to seeking to follow him as best you can. I mean, that ups the ante, doesn't it? Sort of a gut check. Because once you go public, it's kind of hard to uh, turn back, isn't it? So that's precisely one of the functions of baptism. It serves as a form of accountability. It asks the question, do I really mean this? Do I really want to go public? Or am I content to remain sort of a secret Christian or a closet Christian and uh, maybe even just a false Christian, a, a phony? Now. While baptism demonstrates that I'm a Christian, it doesn't make me a Christian. Unfortunately, some people today believe that they're going to heaven because some religious leader sprinkled some water on them, perhaps when they were uh, an infant or a teenager, and now they think they're all fixed up for heaven. But I need to tell you as a pastor, there is absolutely no biblical basis for that position. I mean, none. So if you're banking, you know, going to heaven on the fact that you were baptized as an infant or even in your early teen years, you're just banking on the wrong thing. Salvation comes through a personal faith connection to Christ. Now to illustrate how this works, let's just say I'm single and um, I'm gonna take off my wedding ring here for a moment and you decide to give me this wedding ring and I put it on my finger. I'm single, I put on this wedding ring. Does that mean I'm now married? 
Well, of course not. What is the function of a wedding ring? Well, it serves as a symbol. That's all it is. It's a symbol, an outward symbol of an inner commitment. Well, the exact same thing can be said with respect to baptism. Baptism doesn't make somebody a Christian. It's an outward symbol of a commitment that somebody makes to Jesus Christ. So um, that answers uh, that first question then, the reasons as to why we need to consider getting baptized. Example, obedience, demonstration of our Christian faith. All right, second question, what is the meaning of baptism? Well, it has a twofold meaning. First of all, it is a sign of faith. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter six draws our attention to uh, a lot of theology, kind of a difficult passage of scripture, but let me see, having read it, if I can explain it at least at a high altitude, all right? Uh, these verses from Romans six. Have you forgotten that when we became Christians and were baptized to become one with Christ Jesus, we died with him? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So here, the Apostle Paul is drawing our attention to something amazing that occurs when we become Christians. We are spiritually connected to Christ. There is this vital union that takes place. Elsewhere described as a branch getting connected to the vine, where the life of the vine flows into the branch, so it is that the life of Christ now permeates us by his Holy Spirit. It's called the doctrine of union with Christ. The Bible's phrase repeated many, many times throughout the New Testament is to say that we are in Christ. We are so much a part of Christ that Paul is saying what happened to Jesus physically has happened to you and to me as Christ's followers spiritually. Now look at this chart, you'll see what I mean. Physically, according to Paul in this passage, Jesus experienced death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. And because of this union with Christ, you and I have experienced a kind of a spiritual death to the power of sin in our lives, not to its presence. Sin is still a part of every believer's life and experience, but we have died to its power, its addictive, enslaving power. Paul goes on to say that in, here in Romans chapter six. So we've died to the power of sin, we've been buried to the old way of life, and raised to a new kind of, of, of spiritual life. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Let's say that we're at Lake Harriet for the service of baptism, and you are about to be baptized by me. So I'm standing in water up here, and you come to be baptized. I would typically put one hand behind your neck and hold uh, your wrist, and I would ask you a couple of questions. I would say, first of all, George, Sue, whatever your name is, are you declaring that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? And you would say, oh yeah, I am. All right, second question, is it your desire to so live that others will know that you're a Christ follower? And you would say, oh yes, certainly. Then I would say something like this, then based on your confession of faith and in obedience to the Lord's command, 
I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And with that, I would lower you completely under the water. You'd be covered. Now, what is that about? Well, it's illustrating that you have died to the old way of life. You're buried now, okay? Died to the power and influence of sin in your life. I don't leave you under the water, however. <laughs> You're brought up out of the water to demonstrate what? Resurrection to a new kind of life. So that's what the Apostle Paul is drawing to our attention in this passage. Baptism is a sign of your faith relationship to Jesus. But it's not just a private deal, you and Christ. Baptism is much more than that. Secondly, it's a sign of fellowship with other believers. Now the Bible tells us in the opening chapter of the book of Acts that shortly after Jesus' uh, resurrection and his return to heaven, there were something like 120 followers of his waiting in Jerusalem, that's what Jesus said to do, until the promise was fulfilled of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So they're there, they're having fellowship together, they're engaging in worship, they're waiting for the coming of the Spirit. Meanwhile, thousands of Jews from all over the nation of Israel are gathering in the city of Jerusalem to get ready for this feast, Jewish feast called Pentecost. And lo and behold, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in great power. These believers, 120 of them, are out in the streets and they're sharing their faith stories with people in all kinds of different languages, dialects. Peter gets up and he preaches a sermon and he tells these people, Jesus was crucified by you people in this city of Jerusalem. You have murdered the Son of God. You are responsible. Jesus is alive, and now he's calling you to repent of your sins and to believe on him. Well, this is what happened as a result of Peter's sermon, Acts 2.41. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, let me ask you a couple of questions about this statement. It says that 3,000 were added. First of all, added to what? Well, to the 120. You have a group, a sphere of people, okay? 120 followers of Jesus. These people have been on the outside, but now they're saying they wanna be on the inside. They wanna be connected to the 120. So 120 plus 3,000 now, right? Okay, how were they added? Well, this passage is saying they were added by accepting Peter's message, that is the gospel, and by baptism. So baptism was a sign that they were now part of the Christian community. In the early centuries of the church, unless you were baptized, you weren't even considered to be a Christian. And so you weren't even served communion, not unless you had confessed Jesus in the waters of baptism. So in baptism, a person was saying, I'm a Christ follower and I am part of God's family. I am part of the community called the church. I'm one with you people. Just a powerful way to confess one's unity with other believers. So this is why churches for something like 2,000 years now have required baptism for membership. Now, here at City Church, we have two types of membership. Fellowship membership, which does not require baptism. And then we have regular membership, which does require baptism. You say, why do we require baptism at all? 
I mean, does it make you smarter at business meetings and more capable of voting, electing officers or voting on a budget? Well, of course not. Then why require it? Because the church is a Christian community. We're a community of Christ followers here. And baptism lets everybody know that you are a professing child of God and of your desire to identify with a group of his people. So it's not only a sign of faith, it's also a sign of your fellowship with other believers. Okay, question number three. Who should be baptized? I mean, is it more appropriate to baptize children, babies, or people who are old enough to make a faith decision on their own? Well, now we're getting into the heart of things, aren't we? Because you need to know that there are godly, Christ-loving people who come down on both sides of this issue. There are people who love Jesus as much as you do who believe in what is called infant baptism. There are other believers who love Jesus as much as you do who come down on the side of what is called believer's baptism, okay? You need to know that the practice of our church is to administer baptism only to those who are old enough to recognize their sinfulness and to make a faith commitment to Christ. Now, is that what the Bible teaches or did I just make that up? That's the question you ought to be asking yourself. So let me, by way of an answer to the question, uh, tell you a little bit about my own story. I was baptized as an infant. I suspect others of you have uh, were as well. My parents presented me uh, to the Lord in a hope, I guess, that someday I would make a commitment of life to Christ on my own. Subsequent to that, probably around the age of 10 or 11, I don't really remember how old I was, but anyway, I went to a confirmation class. I was confirmed into the membership of that church where I was baptized. So baptized as an infant, confirmed into the membership of the church. About a year or so later, I was converted. I became a Christian, as did my brother around the same time and my best friend. Because this church was not ever telling anybody of their need for Jesus, we decided to leave that church and go to a Bible teaching church that was nearby. Sometime later, the pastor said, uh, Rich, have you considered being baptized? And I thought, why would I want to consider being baptized? I've been baptized. And he said, okay, well, this is what I would like you to do. If you're willing to do it, I will write down on a sheet of paper every Bible reference in the New Testament that gives a story of people who were baptized. I'd like you to read each story and simply ask one question of each story that you read. What's the question? Who was baptized here, according to this story? So I agreed to do it. Now, the I want to take you on that journey, looking at some examples through the scriptures. Uh, the first one of which um, really isn't a story. It takes us back to this text in Matthew 28. But let's go there just for a second or two here and uh, see what this is teaching us about the person to be baptized. It says, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. A disciple is a follower of Christ. 
All disciples, that is those who are committed to Jesus, are to be baptized. Now, is that how the early church understood this command from Jesus? Did they understand Jesus to say, baptize disciples? Or did they conclude that they could also baptize the infant children of these disciples? How did they understand the meaning of Jesus' command? Well, the rest of the New Testament, particularly, of course, the book of Acts, now contains the stories that we can look at. So let me give you some examples here. The first story of anybody getting baptized, Christian baptism, is recorded in the passage we looked at earlier from Acts chapter 2. But let's return to this text and ask that question. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, those who accepted his message, that is Peter's message, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Okay, who here got baptized? That's our question. Who here got? Well, it says, does it not? Those who accepted his message were baptized. So Jesus said to baptize disciples and that's what they did. There's nothing here said about the infant children of these disciples, just disciples getting baptized. All right. Second story, that's my conclusion. Second story of people getting baptized is in Acts chapter 8. So Philip is preaching in this city, and this is what happens, Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Let's return to our question. Who's baptized here? Men and women, right? Infants, well, it doesn't say that. Men and women, all men and women? No, what men and women? Men and women who believe Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God. So believers. All right, one other example for the sake of time. Acts 16 tells the story of Paul and Silas who were in prison. And uh, there's this earthquake that releases them from prison. They tell the jailer about Jesus, middle of the night, he receives the Lord, and this is what happens next. Then they share the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. The same hour, the jailer washed their wounds and he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Then he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. All right, here's our question again. Who's baptized here? Well, the jailer and his entire family. Did that include infants? We don't know. Doesn't say, does it? So you can't prove it. I can't disprove it. It would be an argument based on silence. The text doesn't tell us. Does it include only adult children? Again, we're not specifically told anything about the ages, for example, of the individuals involved. It could have included their servants because servants were considered back then to be part of a a family, a person's household. But why were they baptized? Well, it says that they all had come to believe in God. So my conclusion is that you have an example of family baptism because you have an example of family salvation. Jesus said to baptize disciples, every example of baptism in the book of Acts seems to drive to that conclusion. 
So if you have come to a point in your spiritual journey where you have said yes to Jesus, the very next thing for you in your journey is to consider then uh, this matter of being baptized. If you were baptized as an infant and you believe your baptism is supported by the Bible, this church does not require you to be baptized again for fellowship membership. I would challenge you to consider what is your biblical support for your conviction about infant baptism? Is there a command, for example, in the Bible that would say, baptize infants? Is there a story in the Bible that would confirm your conclusion? What is the theological, biblical conclusion that you come to to support that conviction? All right, number four, how should I be baptized? Well, the answer is that the preferred way is by immersion or being completely covered by water. But you know, it's so easy to get legalistic about all of this, where the amount of water is more important, for example, than the person's heart commitment. Sometimes there are health or geographical factors that make immersion impossible. Just to give you an example, I have actually, over the last 50 or so years of pastoral ministry, baptized three different individuals by some mode other than immersion. One case, a woman up in Presbyterian homes not far from here requested to be baptized as a follower of Jesus. She was well into her 80s, poor health, couldn't be immersed. And so a sample of church people gathered together in a room and we sprinkled some water on her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We consider that believer's baptism. So, but that's the exception. The preferred method is immersion. Now, why do we say that? Well, several reasons. First of all, the meaning of the word. Now, let's say you're studying a foreign language, Spanish, whatever, and your teacher gives you an assignment. Translate this page. Okay, you're translating the page, you come to a word you've never seen before, you don't want know what it means, what are you gonna to do to discover the meaning of that word? You're probably gonna look it up in a Spanish-English dictionary. The New Testament was written in Greek. If you wanna know what the Greek word for baptism means, you could look it up, right? You don't understand, okay. You know, this is what translators did. They took the Greek word baptizo and they brought it over into English and essentially gave it English letters. In other words, they really didn't do what is called a translation, they did a transliteration. So if you wanna know what baptizo means, you would look it up in a Greek-English dictionary or what is called a lexicon. And if you were to do that, you would discover that the word always means, always means to dip, immerse, or submerge. The Greek has other words for sprinkling or pouring. Those words are never used with reference to baptism. So that's our first reason. Second reason, if you read the stories in the New Testament of people who were baptized, the impression is that they were probably immersed. Let me give an example. A leader in the church named Philip is hitchhiking one day and he gets picked up by this guy who is traveling from Jerusalem to his home in Ethiopia. Philip shares Christ with this individual. He comes to saving faith. 
Certainly a caravan traveling from Jerusalem to Ethiopia would have enough water on board if sprinkling or pouring would be the uh, appropriate mode. But he sees a natural body of water. And this is what he says, Acts 8, 36. Look, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Then both Philip and the man went down into the water. Philip baptized him. And then they came up out of the water. So you have the meaning of the word. Whenever you see the word baptized in the New Testament, you can read it immerse. You have the meaning of the word. Now this language of going down into and coming up out of, to me at least, suggests immersion. All right, third reason, baptism is to portray a burial. We've seen that from Acts chapter six. Many different ways to bury a person. You can bury the person at sea, in a vault, under the earth. One thing you've got to do is to cover the person up. So if baptism symbolizes a burial, then immersion seems to best symbolize that. Fourth reason, church leaders agree that immersion was the method used in the early church. For the sake of time, I'm just gonna give you one example here of Martin Luther, founder, of course, of the Lutheran Church. This is what he says, look at this quote. I could wish that such as are to be baptized should be completely immersed into the water according to the meaning of the word and the significance of the ordinance. And Luther baptized his own children, baptized children, but he did it by immersion. Now he goes on to teach elsewhere, as did all the other reformers, John Wesley and all of the other great leaders of, throughout Christianity, to teach that it was acceptable to use other modes and to baptize infants, which is what they did. But those are the four reasons why we believe that immersion is the preferred mode. All right, one more question. What are some obstacles to baptism? Well, I wanna mention two. One is embarrassment. I've had people say, uh, Rich, you expect me to get my hair wet? Somebody else said, I'm a business leader. What are people gonna think? Jesus said this, if a person is ashamed of me and my message, I, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of that person when I return in my glory. So Jesus calls you and me to self-denial and to honor him. So that's one obstacle. Here's a second. And for a lot of people, this is much more of a significant issue, family pressure. People have said to me, Rich, I'd like to be baptized. I believe that's what the Bible commands. But you know what? My parents would just freak out. They would see it as a betrayal of the way in which they raised me. Well, you certainly need to respect your parents. If you were baptized as a child, no doubt it was their intent that you would one day become, you know, a follower of Jesus on your own. So your baptism as an adult can be viewed, I think, as a fulfillment of your parents' wishes. So you could say perhaps something like this. See if this suggestion might help. Mom, Dad, thank you for raising me in a Christian tradition. And I want you to know that as a result of um, the influence that you have had in my life in that regard, I've committed my life to Jesus as my Savior. And I now want to build on what you started. So it's my desire to confess Christ for myself in baptism. I'd love it if you would come to such a service and celebrate with me what you started many years ago. 
So hopefully, parents then would not need to feel threatened or abandoned. But what if the pressure is still there? After some time of trying to work with them over a period perhaps of months or even years, what then? Well, it seems to me that you need to remember what Jesus says in Luke 14. If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. All right, let me wrap this up um, by asking you, you know, what does all of this mean for you today? Well, first of all, if you're not a believer, I hope you'll con continue to investigate the claims of Jesus. Maybe start by reading one of the four Gospels of the New Testament, like the Gospel of John, just a little bit every day. Process your questions, your doubts with a trusted Christian friend, maybe somebody from our church or our pastoral team. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you, take it, it's yours. So continue to examine the claims of Christ. If you are a believer, have you obeyed and honored Jesus by confessing him in baptism? I mean, decide today that that's what you're gonna do. Contact the church office and a member of our pastoral team will set up a time to talk with you. If you're a believer and you've been baptized, Let's review one more time what you were saying at the time of that baptism. Look at Romans 6, 4. We were buried with him, that is Christ, through baptism in order that we might live a new life. So are you? You said at the time of your baptism, Jesus is my Lord. Well, is he? Do your actions and words uh, reflect that commitment to Christ? And finally, if you're a believer and you intend to be baptized, perhaps summer baptism at Lake Harriet, may your day be something like that incredible day in the life of a great Christian leader named Charles Spurgeon, who at the age of 16 wrote the following in his journal, the day of his baptism. This is what he wrote. I am privileged to follow my Lord and to be buried with him in baptism Blessed pool, sweet emblem of my death to all the world, may I henceforward live only for Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, may this be a moment in which decisions are being made, maybe for some to investigate your claims, to receive you as Lord, necessary to follow you in baptism, or to remember as believers, that we are now yours. We thank you for challenging us with this topic. We thank you for putting it right in front of our face as a sort of a test to see if we're really serious about our desire to go public and to follow you. So may we respond in faith and may you give us the courage to do whatever it is you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.